Welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, powered by Sensei, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. For this three-part series, I'm joined by Andy Gailey, founder of Uptime Consultant Limited, who provide a holistic approach to asset care and maintenance management. In the third and final episode of this series, we discussed how predictive maintenance has evolved over the years and some of the positive outcomes Andy has experienced from the deployment of PDM tools. I hope you enjoy it. Exactly. No, exactly. And I was, I was interested by your comment. Obviously, you said you met the, the part when you were. You said you mentioned you met the sorry the Sensei co-founders, yeah. yes. and you wish you had that technology. You know, years before. So I guess I guess my question is: so when did you first hear about the term predictive maintenance? And how has it evolved from then until what sort of offerings are out there today? Yeah, yeah. so um, it's come a long way since I I really probably um, first heard about predictive maintenance in 2005. So when I was asked to, I was asked by the engineering manager, would I step outside of the technician group and come up with a way of using predictive technology and lubrication best practice to drive down the unplanned downtime. And then there was lots of different things within that plan that we had. Some of them were to do with the uh, CMMS system that we used. Some of them were to do with editing a lot of the plan maintenance we had. And the first thing we, first thing the plant did was they brought in a third party, a consultant, and I actually, when I think about it, I actually probably studied the consultants as they came in because I worked with those consultants on a three-day deep dive into what we were actually doing, not what we thought we were doing. So say, for instance, we thought we had 7% unplanned downtime. And after three days, the guys that came in from the third-party point of view, when they looked at it, they said, it's more like 12% because you're kidding yourself. So you you you're not you're not counting anything that's under thirty minutes. So if something goes down thirty minutes, it it, it triggers once it goes past thirty minutes and one second. But all the low line stuff that was repeated failures were a lot of them were under thirty minutes. And as part of that, they said, "Well, would we do this so you understand kind of what we're doing from a practical point of view?" And then later on, we we uh, the group has had training, a couple of days training in reliability centre maintenance. That was my first um, view to looking at there was other, other things other than reacting and fixing things and lubricating things when you didn't know why you were lubricating it. Um, and reliability centred maintenance opened the whole field of doing the right things to your assets to get what you bought that asset for in the first place and part of that was heavily involved with predictive so it says in um, in reliability centered maintenance practice these are the kind of things that you look for and you would start by asking is there a predictive thing I can apply to this asset that will give me a good idea as to the health it's in now and track it over time that's when I first heard of uh, predictive maintenance it's come a long way there are a lot more people interested in the area. Um, 
I would have hoped it had come longer, uh, further down um, the, the path, the journey. But if I did that, then I probably wouldn't get any clients. Because most of my clients come to me saying, we're very reactive. We think we need to look at our maintenance strategy. And we want to have a lot less unplanned downtime. And we want to produce more X for our labor and our resources. And I, again, when I thought about these things as a business and in life, everything happens with three finites. The three finites is time. That's the finite we can't buy. Uh, money. So we need money. We need some form of um, benefit exchange, which we call money. Uh, and we need resources. And that usually resources in a factory, usually the labor that you put against it or things like the inventory, the kind of critical spares that you carry for emergencies. And if you look at those three aspects, there's a balancing act to be made. So you could spend lots and lots and lots of money and end up bankrupt. Um, you could have a very, very efficient process and very little downtime, but you wouldn't be able to sell your bath plugs because it'd be too expensive. So there, there is a kind of a, if you do a curve about the amount of money you spend, amount of time you spend uh, and the amount of um, um, availability for the operation there's a crossing point where there's a, a sweet spot shall we say and it's a case of understanding where you are understanding where you want to go to and trying to drive towards that sweet spot and I, I mean if that's an excellent point really but is when you talk to clients or potential clients do they do they understand I mean, do they do they get that when you explain that those three things, you know, cross over, or is that more of a surprise to them at that point? I'm just um, yeah, a lot a lot of people are way too close to their business, and rightly so. So, if you're employed to make cars or snack food or I don't know bottles of wine or whatever you're making, you are focused and aimed at uh, making that thing day in day out. So you are, you're, you're, it's almost like you've got blinkers on. You are insular. You're looking at your business and you're looking at how you can get more product out for less of that money. Um, they're probably not thinking in the three finites range. They're just looking at, well, I want to make this and I want to pay less for it. But if they thought about it, there's only three things that can impact that. Um and the other thing that I always say to people is if you, if you save time uh, through availability, it's a massive benefit because once you if you lose that time, it's lost forever. It's gone. So if you lose an hour's production, you have to go into the future and you have to produce that product for your client in the future. And while you are down, it's cost you more um, while, you're, while you're waiting to go to to get that in the future so um, a lot of people don't get it because they're too close to what they do so they need i think a lot of businesses need people to to ask questions the right questions and i try to ask the right questions and you can sometimes see all some things become revealed to people and they say you know i say why, why didn't i see that before um so yeah, it's it, 
again, pe people are too, people are too blinkered, I think, in, in, when they're in business, and uh, they probably don't know where to, where to go. And if you don't know where to go, you stay in the same place, basically. And actually, that links to one of as you one of the later questions I was going to ask, which um, which fits into that nicely. It's about because you, I notice you obviously have a uptime consultant academy. So I'm just wondering whether how that fits into that educational purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well placement. Um, yeah. When when I started up the business, I'm very lucky that I could start up the business. I was doing something I was really. I don't do this business because of making money. That's one thing I don't do. I I do it because I really enjoy doing. It. I really enjoy helping people out. Now, if people want to pay me uh, some tokens, some money for it, then you know I can keep my business afloat. And what I did early on, I built the business over about a year, and I didn't really didn't launch it. So there's a lot of input goes into building a consultancy from nothing. So you imagine if I was in PepsiCo for 20 years and nobody really knew me. I was looking out all the time at these other consultancies. I can say one of them was MCP. MCP, really good place to look. And I was looking at all these consultants and what they did and how they provided benefit. And I formed the company over about a year. Within the year of forming the company, when I launched it, I had lots and lots of inbound from people in Africa, India, Middle East, Australia, uh, China. Um, lots of people actually that were Eastern based. You find that North America is very developed in this condition monitoring predictive space, more developed than we are in the UK and uh, probably more developed than people are in the, the middle of Far East. So I was having all this input and I was having to say to the first few people, look, I can't I can't help you other than giving you a half an hour on a Zoom call, um, but I'm going to look to do something I can. So I, after two or three years, I looked out and I found out a platform run by a company called Thinkific in Canada. Um, and that's a platform where I could load in um, courses uh, of information that I could then share with people. And I could, if I wanted to, I could charge for that. But I decided not to. I decided I would take on the cost of the platform and then I would put my information that I share with clients, but I put the kind of the, the base level in. I was actually thinking of talking to a 16-year-old that didn't know anything. And the idea was to get new engineers or engineers that were interested in finding out about predictive technology and other aspects where they get kind of the base level and then they get, again, the thing that I, I give to people more experienced is I give them anecdotes of what I found. So you can go lots and lots of places and do courses in vibration with, say, Mobius Institute and do this prescribed course. And that will teach you how to do vibration at, say, level one. But they won't give you much in the way of application and what to look for. And what to target, what benefits you're going to target. So I wanted to do that. So I built the platform. We've now got nine courses on it. Uh, we've got over 400 people have taken benefit of that. Uh, it's really good to get, occasionally I get feedback from these people. They send me an email and they'll say, that was brilliant. I had 
help early days off the very knowledgeable people that were a cohort that kind of beta tested and then fed back and I went yeah that's a good point um, I think my presentation skill I worked on got a little bit better at presentation um, and the, but the idea is just to give give this away and what it does it is kudos as well to my clients my paying clients uh, when I first interact with them, if there are any engineers or operators there, I say, look, if you want to understand what reliability means, take the course. It will take you an hour. All you've got to do is log in with your email, take it on your phone or your iPad or on your desktop, and um, just, just have it. Uh, and then, so what I can do now is when I go and have new clients, I can say, you are the people that sponsor, co-sponsor, and Sensei has... A thing there as a collaborator on it so uh, Sensei has I've got their name up on it that they are supporters of the the platform and I, I think it in my time of life as an engineer it's only right that I to try and share my tacit knowledge or the knowledge I've picked up freely to people that can't probably can't afford to have a training course but they, they have got an internet connection yeah oh cool so that was the idea no, I think I think it's a fantastic idea, and I think well, from my perspective, even just from a marketing perspective, I, again, it's not something that's commonly B two B marketing. I know this isn't a marketing. Yeah, so I was just going to say, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't part of my marketing. But what what I have found is that there have been some people that when I we first connected say, on LinkedIn as engineers, and then I so everybody that I connect with on LinkedIn. So if you reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn, I will send you um, a message. That welcomes you that tells you what i do and there is uh you know a lead to the website to go and have a look lots of information on there there's also uh an invitation to go and take a course and i've had people have come to me kind of took a course so i can see them when they when they do register i get a notification and see the course they take and then you know six or nine months later some of these people have come back now and i wanted to to book um face-to-face one-to-many so i go and probably teach eight or ten engineers in a day um, the basics of reliability center maintenance or uh, how predictive and proactive techniques can help them and maybe even look at some of their assets while i'm there as well so uh, that's how i started with with nissan up in washington tyne and weir that's where i first met physically uh, a sensor platform which i'd heard about and then I went, um, I got in touch with, with Alex, who was one of the co-founders of Sensei. And we had a great conversation about Predictive. Uh, I then went and visited the head office at Southampton on when I was coming uh, off a, a holiday. We, I, we dropped in there for an hour. I met Simon and Rob Russell. And we uh, came to um, an agreement to collaborate Um with no with no no funds changing hands but that we would support each other what we did and my obviously my my uh connection there was saying well i, I already got i go to nissan i was going there probably once every every month through the body shop or the uh, the trim and chassis or through the battery and i was going and delivering the same course to their engineers and part of that was looking at the sensor platform and then, so what I did, I was, again, I said to the co-founder, well, I can, I can report back any of the, any of the things that they reveal to me, because engineers 
when I go and interact with them, they tend to reveal a lot to me because we come from the same cloth. We talk the same language. And I was able to then feedback some some things that were, you know, needed to be edited that made the platform better. Uh, we talked about um, how the interaction on the platform from going from a PC to a, uh, a fully mobile unit would uh, think of it in the kind of... Uh, you know, star rating system or smiley face, thumbs up, that type of feedback to get people interacting with the system in a similar way they would re react to LinkedIn or to a Facebook post or to Instagram that they get to press something that says this worked for me or this didn't. And then you can aim them towards the long form of can you tell me of a drop down of this top 10 what type of failure you found or did you take any interventions and those things the platform needs to feed back obviously into the system so that the platform learns from the human interaction yeah and i think so yeah that's that we no, kind of joined up yeah no really interesting i mean and and that's a real big philosophy of sensei and from my from my perspective slightly biased perspective it's where sort of sets it out that it's not just about the asset, the data, the assets telling you, yeah. but it's also the hu the actual <laughs> person on the floor who knows the asset, who sees the asset. Yeah. We're actually getting their feedback as one that feeds into the into the knowledge as well. So yeah, I, mean, I think it, that's a very important really, point. I really enjoyed those um, those interactions because I'd, I'd get eight hours with these guys, and uh, you would I would have probably eight or ten engineers, uh, and a couple you could tell a couple of those were maybe anti of what was going to be said. So you'd have to get them on side within the first hour or two. And then to the, the idea I, I had to do is I, I had to sell that there is a different way of doing what they were doing every day. That nothing has to stay the same. Uh, if we if you become proactive and if you if you embrace the predictive technology you've got, that they were very ahead of the curve with Sensei, that that will then direct you towards those three percent i was talking about so if you look at a large asset group 90 odd percent 97 percent of those assets are not looking for any action there's only the three or four percent there that are looking for an input from a human to either take care of them and make them better or take some sort of surgical action and replace a component sort of thing no, exactly. And I think, I think the way because you you you're right in what you're saying. It was it's really interesting what you're saying about some of the the positive and the um, feedback they gave. And I'm, I wanted to just to dive into that a little bit more actually about some of the more before we finish because I realise that our time is time is short. But it's just interesting to know what some of the positive outcomes you've seen from predictive maintenance. If there's any real examples you can you can provide. Yeah, well, um, it, again, going back to my own experience in that food factory, it was a it was a six year journey. So people got to understand, it's not there's no magic bullet. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work with people mainly to make it happen. Um, you can't just plug things in and walk away and expect the sensei application to do magic things. It takes inputs from the human human aspect 
the the outputs and the why why you do it are those things I mentioned before. You can if you can save labour costs, then you save money. If you can save labour costs and money, then you're pretty much probably doing things in a more timely way. You're not wasting as much time. Um, there's lots and lots of KPIs that run through the whole thing. So when I talk to people about what the savings are, okay, so we've got our input of gas, electricity, pneumatics, the labour. Um, any any inputs you put in there from ingredients wise so those could be very expensive ingredients and in the food industry those ingredients have gone literally through the roof at the moment mm. um, so if you can if you can save on those those ingredients they're ingredients that people don't understand as well it's becoming a big problem um, you know the, the gases that we use to to expel air to make our food last is becoming very, very expensive as a byproduct of the um, fertilizer industry. So if you can't afford to make fertilizers, a lot of fertilizer manufacturers are actually just packing up, going out of business. And you don't get carbon dioxide, you need to go in the packaging. Nearly all of your snack foods, so anything that's in a bag that comes from PepsiCo, has been nitrogen flushed. So nitrogen is injected into the product stream so that it expels any oxygen. So again, you're product doesn't degrade over in a few days it will last kind of 30 days in in the back um, so all of these things are are benefits of doing things in a proactive and predictive way and not waiting for things to fail the other big thing that people don't look at as well which is is amazing is that if you're in the same business as somebody else now, if you can save two or three percent of your unplanned downtime and they don't, then you're going to win. And you're going to win big style. You're going to put them out of business because it's the manufacturing overhead part of the business that you can impact massively through uh, doing things proactively and predictively. So if you've got two snack food plants next to each other and one's got 10 percent unplanned downtime and the other one's only got two percent unplanned downtime, one of them is going to go out of business. It's going to be the one that's got the less unplanned downtime because they're going to make hundreds of tons more product for their end user. Um, I've seen that happen. So that is a story. It's not just like blue sky thinking that happened. Those producers go out of business because they haven't um, come up with a plan, come up with a strategy of moving to a better place. And that's all it's about. It's about having having that plan and then executing it um yeah and that happened that's in any manufacturing industry no absolutely i think that's a nice nice note to finish on but before before we sort of conclude it'd be great um especially with your course andy that's provided sounded like provide the community so much value if you could just let people know how they can find out more about uptime consultant what you do in your your academy yeah, as well if you uh, if you Google Uptime Consultant or the Uptime Consultant Academy, it'll take you straight to our webpage. Um, if you go to the training box on there, it will um, it will take you to, you can go to the platform that's separate, which is Uptime Consultant Academy. If you reach out and connect with me via LinkedIn, uh, Andy Gailey, just look for Andy Gailey, and again, my profile will be Uptime Consultant. Um, I'll definitely always reply to every new contact that I make contact with. And again, there'll be a link there to 
go in and, and take any of the courses. I know one of the things that new starters at Sensei do, I see them log on, is within a couple of months of them starting with Sensei, I see them logging on to the, the predictive and reliability center maintenance courses. Um, well, I've actually worked with, uh, again, we worked on a, a project together just as a collaboration with uh, myself and Peter Livenday, where we looked at that human aspect where we support people to get the best from the Sensei application. Um, and yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking to try and help people as much as I can. And so, some people come to me and might have a, an hour call or a Zoom call. And I'll never hear from them again. And that's fine. If I can help people. Um, and some people come to me and say, well, I think we need to, you know, maybe have a day or maybe come up with a contract where we have a few days where we can look at a strategy. I get probably equal amounts of people looking at maintenance strategy and criticality as I do then the, the things that come out of that. So proactive predictive and lubrication. Yeah, fantastic. So, fantastic. No, we have a long-winded answer. No, no, absolutely no. I think it's really useful, and I think it's really important as well because that provides so much value. And as I was sort of starting to say earlier on, um, from my marketing perspective, it's about giving away value rather than from a B two B perspective. This isn't a marketing podcast, but it's um, it's yeah. about giving value up front and not trying to hide it away and ask for you know something in return. A lot of the time, you're, you're providing the value, so I think that's something really important and. A really positive yeah, thing I mean, you're people doing. Have, people have asked, oh, well, um, could you not make a bigger course and charge for it? And I said, well, actually, I'm not interested in in um, in having another income stream from this where I have to concentrate on that. And then you become an online trainer. And it, there's there's a lot of work. I mean, one course that takes takes you through, uh, there's, there's probably got a five-minute five um, modules within the course. And then there's, you know, uh, some other information at the end of it as well you can download that well, one of those courses i actually timed them when i did a um, three or four of them together over a, a number of weeks they take about a week to do an hour course by the time you've done the video and the editing and the sound and and so the, the, the good thing is it's there as long as i uh, support the platform and keep paying my subs it's there for anybody anywhere anytime you know, and that's one of one of the things I did think about was if there was a, you know, I've, I've said this to a couple of bigger clients. If you've got people that are all over the planet, but they have to have the same course, and it's bespoke, it's for you, it's about your platform, it's about what you do, then there's no reason why Uptime Consultant couldn't provide a course like that. They they have the key to that they can access, you know, anytime, say for six months for a year. Um, so I have done that kind of third party thing before with other people's label on where people say, well, oh, we like your presentation. Could you do as a lubrication presentation, but aimed at our specific tool? And if I agree with their tool and their ethos, I'll do it and I'll charge them a day rate for, for doing that. No, that sounds, that sounds great. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, thank you, Andy, today. It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm sure everyone who's learned has, has learned a lot from your experience, your vast experience in that, in, in that area. So thank you again. Um, and thank you, everyone, well, who's, we're all, we're all who's listening. 
Yeah, we're all learning, so <laughs> keep learning. That's what I say. Yeah, nice a nice sentiment Cheers. to end on, I think. Thanks, but thank you, everyone, and yes. speak to you again soon. So that was the third and final part of our series looking at the key maintenance challenges manufacturers are facing. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe via your favourite podcast provider if you'd like to be notified about future episodes. And it would mean a lot if you could let us know your feedback by leaving us a review. You can find out more about how Sensei can reduce unplanned downtime and contribute towards improved sustainability within your manufacturing plants by visiting Sensei.io. Thanks a lot for listening.